What an incredible way to start the morning. Celebrating and honoring the name of Jesus. Good morning, everybody. My name is Paul. Welcome to church. Can we as a church family just bring our faith this morning? The little we have, the great we have. If we're, we've, we're so close to God and we feel so uh, 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 close and so full of faith. And if we're having a rough week and we feel so low, can we just bring what we have as we go back into worship? And so, God, I just pray that you would flow through this room. God, I pray that our little faith or our big faith would just please you as we worship you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So take note of this moment and this atmosphere. Because like Diana is saying, we have arrived at a place. And the biblical words for prayer mean a meeting. You've arrived somewhere to meet with someone. That's the point of worship, to arrive and offer him that. When that completion is done, then we can move on. But we're not in a rush, Holy Spirit. We follow you. You set the pace and the timing. We follow you. Mm. Thank you, worship team. So right on the tail of this, two things. Agreement, when we're in worship... What's happening is someone like Mikey will catch a glimpse of something. Feel free to wander off, guys. Don't worry about being quiet or whatnot. We're like family around here, so. Somebody like Mikey catches a glimpse of something. Maybe it's a movement. Maybe it's just this one gesture. But there's something on it. And then the rest of the team notices it, and they go, oh, that's what we're doing now because it's got life. So next thing you know, you'll see six or eight of them all doing this. Only one of them knows why. They're the only one that saw it. But the rest came into agreement, and it had life. Do the same thing out there. If you're not sure what's going on, lowest level default, pray in tongues. At least you're adding something then. But feel free to come into agreement with the movement. It's okay for you to be in the back row doing the same thing. Just don't poke your neighbor in the eye. (laughs) Done that. (laughs) Or with your sound. Because we hit a spot there where the sound was revealing the knowledge of God. It's really easy to just stop and do nothing in those moments. Don't. Add your sound. Release something so that you come into agreement with it. Because that's what holds it open longer and there's more to see. Good? Yes? And then I heard this little gem right on the tail. of The Lord said, I love people who talk with their hands. Keep it in mind. Okay, so I'm going to grab my stuff here. Okay, how many of you saw The Price is Right growing up? Okay, yeah. Uh, Do you remember the game Plinko? Okay, for those of you who don't know what Plinko is, it's a giant board with a bunch of pegs and you drop a, a disc in the top and it is... And you have no idea where it's going to go. Today feels like that for me. I've got a bunch of pins and I know the disc is going to hit the bottom at some point, but we're going to see where we go. Fair? Okay, I may call on you at a moment's notice could be anyone at any time. So if you check out, I'll probably zero in on you. (laughs) Yeah, stress them out. That's good. Keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I have to log in. Go. Okay, so if you are taking notes, and Ken is later going to put a title on this, it's seeing and knowing. Okay? Seeing and knowing. But we're going to take the scenic route. 
Anybody got a Bible handy? Like the physical book? Not the phone. I've got my phone too. Okay, I'll steal it for a second. Okay. Thank you. Okay. How many of you have read anything out of this book? Okay, that's good. Have you noticed it's full of really weird things? Like everywhere. Everything is weird. Everything is weird. Now, thank you, object lesson. If you don't know me, you don't know that the Cartoon Channel is always playing in the background in here. Always. Sometimes I can mute it, lots of times I can't. But when I read some of these stories, the Cartoon Channel sort of starts to animate them a little bit. And I start to read into the rest of the story. So let's, let's do something. Um, Exodus 14. I don't know if you guys want to try and keep up with Scripture or not. It's cool if you don't. Exodus 14, you've got Israel, the millions of them, on their way out of Egypt, and they have arrived at the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army is on their tail, and it's sort of a high-stress situation. There's nowhere to go forward. Death is behind them. What do you do? Moses hears the word of the Lord because he goes to God, because the people are complaining, going, would you bring us out here for? We're all going to die. Way to go, Moses. You should have left us back there. Moses goes to the Lord and says, ah, could you help me out here? And he's like, what are you crying to me for? There's the rod. Go stretch the rod out over the sea. Now, if you saw the old Ten Commandments movie, it's this dramatic moment where Charlton Heston comes out with the staff and he raises it over the sea and the water divides and that's not what happened in Scripture. What Scripture says is that a strong east wind blew all night. Here's where the cartoon channel kicks in. What did that night look like? Was Moses totally at peace in the tent, snoring? Okay, there's several million people camping on the ground right next to the sea the flaming column of the presence of God has moved to the back of the camp between the army of the Egyptians and them. Like, dramatic things are happening. Are you sleeping that night if you're an Israelite? Or are you up? I mean, I don't know, but just I start filling in the blanks. Out of several million people, I'm sure there's some that are just pacing back and forth in the tent, right? And then you get up in the morning and like the wind has been blowing all night. So your tent's been flapping. And I mean, even if you could sleep, maybe you couldn't because the flap, I don't know. So that just fills in some of the, what's the story like? Now, they didn't have a Bible to tell them what was going to happen. They were in the moment just doing their best to follow God. And that book is full of those stories. Pastor Mark um, kind of made a a one-off joke a couple of weeks ago about Jesus doing things and not following a book. But that rung because that's our condition. We have to do the same thing. So here's another funny story. Uh, Joshua 2. They're getting ready to take Jericho. Okay, you've already had a mass circumcision, so you've got a bunch of the warriors, right? Right? Sorry, I mean, that's what happens. This, again, Cartoon Network, so filter out anything that, that feels weird. So, the backstory: You've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, right? Because the first time you tried to enter, missed it by a day. 40 years. Everybody in that generation died. That's what your Bible says. So you've got a bunch of people that grew up under a pillar of cloud by day, air conditioning, pillar of fire by night, security system. Uber Eats showed up in the morning, every morning. Sorry, manna. Um, Water came out of rocks. There's another funny one that I ran on. What was it? Oh, yeah, right. Your clothes and your shoes didn't wear out. So this is what's been going on for 40 years. Okay, that's the backstory you get to. Okay, go spy out Jericho. Two spies go into Jericho, and where does the Lord lead them for safety? Prostitute's house. 
my head goes, this must have looked something like a homeschool kid suddenly told, go hang out at the bar tonight, that's where you're going to be safe. <laughs> right? Because they've got no grid for this. They, you know, giant city, totally different culture. They've been living in the presence of God. Like the visible, obvious, it's happening, it's real. This is normal to them, and they end up there. How hard would it be for you to follow the Spirit of God when he makes that kind of a turn? And then I'm reading that story, and a little detail jumped out and smacked me in the face. You know, Rahab hides the spies, and that's great, and then the spies get back to the camp, and they report, and whatever. Um, Where was Rahab's house? Sorry, in the what? Interesting. Did you know that the spies didn't know what God's plan was? They didn't forewarn her what was going to happen. They didn't know. That would have been a weird day, hey? And then, okay, God's strategy, right? Joshua getting the people ready for battle and the captain of Yahweh's army appears. Now, side note, biblical thing, whenever you read LORD in all caps in the Bible, that's the proper name of God, Yahweh. They just translate it to make it easy. Um, The captain of Yahweh's army shows up. Joshua's stunned, right? Like, whoa, you know, are you for us or our enemies? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But as the commander of the Lord's armies, I have come, and where do you read of him next around Jericho? Oh, right, you don't. Uh, what, what? Where'd he go? That, gone, right? So what's Joshua thinking? And then he's got to go and tell the people, okay, here's the plan, guys. Ready? All the fighting men. <laughs> half of you in front of the priests with the ark. The other half of you behind the priests with the ark, okay? Stay quiet. We're going to march. Those guys, they're not marching very fast, I'm sure, right? Yeah. The priests, though, are not silent. The priests are blowing their trumpets the whole time. How big is this city? I don't know. At what point does it get old? I have blown the trumpet for the 2,000th time, and we just made the last corner. It's still going to be 40 minutes down to the end of the gate. I, I don't know. Like, we, we have no sense of the actual details of how this went. Was it weird? At what point was it awkward? You know, what if you're marching next to that one guy who just keeps poking you in the ribs? I don't know. (laughs) So that's interesting, right? Then, you know, the wall falls down. Cut back to Rahab. She just knows whoever's in her house is going to be saved. Great. The Hebrew is that the walls went under. It sounds to me like the walls just went straight down. So I'm thinking, she's in the house, the family's there, hey, better stay here, it's safe. All of a sudden, boom! Whoa! They're rescued, but that was bizarre. So let's, let's skip to a little later story. This is one that I love. Oh, incidentally, that marching around, there was a specific instruction, right? Fighting men half up front, priests with the ark and the trumpets, half... One lap, six days, Israel, the rest of you, follow, Shh, say nothing. Day seven, oh, we know how to do this. Fighting men are feeling a little better after walking for seven days. Things have healed up a little bit. Seven times you say, okay. The priests who have been blowing the trumpets thinking that was a long trip one time, okay, now you're doing it seven times. And then the walls go down, right? But there's an order. It has to happen this way. It has to happened this way. Let's jump to another fun one. Jeremiah 13. 13, 1 to 8. I don't know if you want to try and put it up. It's fun. Oh, you know what? Let's, let's just... Thank you. See, that's agreement. Well done. <laughs> Lesson learned. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah 1. Thus says the Lord to me, Jeremiah, go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist. Do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord. I put it around my waist. The word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you've bought, which is around your waist. Rise. 
Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the cleft of a rock. Pause. <laughs> Cartoon channel. Go buy yourself some linen underwear. Wear the underwear. I almost brought in some underwear to put on over my pants. Thought better of it. Cartoon channel should stay inside. Um, so he's wearing, I think it's fair to say linen loincloth is underwear. Esteemed, prophet of God. Put your underwear on the outside of your... Anyway, he wears it. Then the Lord says, okay, take it to the Euphrates and bury it. Pop quiz. Where's the Euphrates relative to Jerusalem? <laughs> Far is the right answer. If we Google mapped it, the very closest loop of the Euphrates is in northeastern Syria, approximately 750 kilometers away or twice the distance as here to Jasper. Take the underwear that you bought and you wore and go over to that river because the Jordan won't do. Okay. So he goes on. How long do you think that takes? Horseback average, maybe you could get 50 miles a day. So two weeks at best. No bandits. Maybe if you're on camels in a caravan, they're going slower. I don't know. Let's say two weeks that direction. Get there. And the word of the Lord is bury the underwear that you didn't wash or wear or didn't wash. Uh, bury it in the dirt and go home. Cool. Okay. Good word. <clears throat> Verse 6, and after many days, how many is many? Many is many, that's great. Okay, let's illustrate many a little bit. If I was to say, Amanda Campbell, are you in the room? Okay, Amanda Campbell, if you don't know, is an RMT, a masseuse. If I said, we're going to set up Amanda's sitting massage chair, and for one minute, she's going to massage whoever volunteers. How, how many of you know that that minute would go by really fast? Okay, what if instead of that, it was, you're going to do a plank? Okay, now that minute got way longer. <laughs> okay, so after many days, maybe he's forgotten about it or whatever, um, the Lord says to me, arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide. Okay, so we're talking another two-week journey out to go get buried underwear? course he gets it it's spoiled good for nothing then after the two weeks there the two weeks back for two months worth of traveling big space in between then the word of the lord comes to him and it's not even a word about syria it's not a word about iraq like why did it have to go all the way up? i don't know that's a weird story though what's the modern day equivalent Go buy some boxer shorts, wear them on the outside of your pants around Spruce Grove. Cool, you did that great. Get on a plane, fly to Africa. When you get off the plane there, jump on a boat. We're going to go two weeks into the jungle, bury your underwear by the river. That's the modern equivalent. This is the stuff he does. This is normal to God. Our natural, rational brain does not think that's a great idea. So when Jesus said, uh, the kingdom is like a man who found a treasure in a field and went and sold everything he had to get it, <sighs> ow, 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 ow. Um, here is another fun one. Exodus 17, we go back to this one. Pastor Mark refers to every now and then. Um, Israel is battling Moses is standing on a hill. So, he knows up front, Joshua, you and the boys, you're going to fight down here. I'm going to be up on the hill, and I'm going to have the staff of God. That's all that's written before the fight. Moses is up there, and then it goes on to say that, you know, when his hands are up, Israel's winning. When his hands fall, Israel's losing. You know, we're winning. We're dying. Cartoon Network. <clears throat> what does this look like in my head? Did you ever see... Bugs Bunny as Leopold the Conductor. <laughs> Winning! <laughs> right? Or Mr. Bean trying to get the, the, you know, the TV to... So he's got his clothes off and he's on one leg. Like, 
Nowhere does it say that the Lord said unto Moses, you know, this is verse 9b, uh, and the Lord descended to Moses, spoke to him audibly, explained everything so that Moses understood and agreed with it and uh, that he was comfortable with what had to happen next. It doesn't say that. Right? So Moses is up there and he's like, okay, I've got the staff. Hands up. How long does it take to do this battle? Have you ever held your hands up in the air for a long time? Good news, we're going into worship next week. <laughs> like, I've done it for a play, right? I was playing Jesus, whatever, had my hands up. I was, you know, on the cross. Your hands get really heavy, really fast. This is an all-day fight, maybe. And it gets to the point where they've got to have Aaron and her on either side holding his arms up, and eventually he finds that he can sit on a rock. So here's what my brain does. Hands up, we're winning. Hands down, we're losing. Where's the threshold? Right? So, that doesn't work. Okay. Right? He's got to figure out the height because somehow that matters. The physical position matters. He had to be at the top of the hill, he had to have his hands in the air. It was okay to adapt, get a rock, get some buddies, but he had to do it. And we'll jump to one more here. It's another favorite of Pastor Mark's. 2 Kings 13. Elisha is near death. Joash, the king of Israel, shows up. My father, my father. The chariots of horse of Israel. Why am I doing that? Because, well, that's what Elisha did when he got the mantle from Elijah, right? If you see me when I go, you'll get what... The word must have spread. What did he see? Chariots of fire, whatever. Elijah went up in a whirlwind. That's what happened. They told the story. It gets out to Israel. That's the first occurrence of horses and chariots of Israel. Second occurrence, Elisha is surrounded by the army. He's got his servant. The servant's like, ah, we're all going to die. Lord, would you open the eyes of my servant? Master, it's okay. Chariots of horsemen of Israel all around us. He saw it suddenly. It was there, but the servant suddenly saw it. That's the second occasion. So here's the third occasion. Joash the king has heard these stories. And so now he's like, chariots of horsemen of Israel. He's doing the thing. Why? Because he's expecting this is what you do when you get your eyes open and the handoff. Elisha gets up off his deathbed. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance over Assyria. Pull out your bow. King puts the arrow on the bow. Elisha comes along. Benny, stand up for a second. Draw an imaginary bow. (laughs) What would you have to do to put both hands? Awkward. Shoot the arrow. Okay. Thank you, Ben. So he shoots the arrow, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Now, take this bundle of arrows and strike the ground. Elisha gets angry at the king. You idiot! You should have struck five or six times. You would have wiped them. Instead, now you only get three battles won, and this is going to be a problem. So, of course, you know, you make that visual in your head however you like, but then I got this interesting question. Was it reasonable for Elisha to expect the king to know what to do? Elisha was angry. I think it's implied that the king should have known. What was happening in that moment when he was striking the ground was he was establishing physical future events. Somehow this meant people dying out there in the future. When was the battle? Don't know. Maybe it was two weeks out. What if you were changing the future two weeks out by doing something weird? Now, every event of the chariots of horsemen of Israel coincides with this thought. Do you see it? Elijah says, if you see me when I go, the servant can't see it. Elijah says, please open his eyes. Click, he sees it. The king here didn't see it. And that wasn't okay. 
and then let's skip to the New Testament because we somehow, we can, we can put the Old Testament aside. That's, that doesn't happen anymore. God's different. Jesus showed up. He's nice. We think that. He'll let me off the hook. He'll go easy on me. So here's one of my favorite stories. Again, Cartoon Network. <clears throat> Blind man needs to be healed. Jesus comes along. Blind man hears. <laughs> okay, immediate context in the Middle East <laughs> is never a blessing. It's always an insult. Always. Well, that's a weird moment. And to make it even more interesting, Jesus says things in John like, I only do what I see my father doing. (laughs) So father was spitting on the ground, making mud pies wipes it on his face, and then sends him to go wash off in the pool. How far away is the pool? Don't know. But that would have looked weird. I got this mud on my eyes. Somebody get me to the pool. Right? Like, we don't think about how these things actually develop. And Jesus wasn't like, I got to say this carefully. He wasn't flexing his own ability. He's God, but he set aside all his power and his authority and his independence to just make things happen. Totally emptied himself of all of that. Made himself just like us, so he had to listen just like we had to listen. He was showing us, this is how you do. I only do what I see my father doing, and I only say what I hear him saying. So that's the pattern which means you must get to where the Father is so that you can see him and hear him. There is no alternative. There is no, well, I'll just go off and be good and do nice things. That is not the same thing, and it will not achieve the same results. Being mostly aligned... Moses on the hill with the staff. But if he didn't put his hands up, wouldn't be enough. He was not allowed to just be there with a good attitude. I just showed up. I'm, I'm, I'm just there in spirit. I'm not doing anything. I'm just there. Like, that's not enough. We can't get away with that. We actually have to show up and be there, be present, be involved, because that's the model. And there's no, well, I didn't get it. It's our obligation, our responsibility to see and hear clearly. So what's the problem? Well, the problem, one of the layers of the problem, I guess, is what we are trying to operate with. So scripture says, um, I'll paraphrase it first This natural mind that is oriented to the physical world is entirely useless when dealing with spiritual things. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh has no interest rate. There is no incremental return on flesh. Zero. Okay. That's good news, I think. So then... If we're operating with that, our own understanding or whatever, we can't participate. Scripture says, you know, that the natural mind is the enemy of God. It cannot come into alignment with the law of God. And for those of you who know me, I like getting into the Greek. I like getting in the trenches. So what that's saying is, that the natural mind cannot come into military formation with the law of God. It's impossible. There is no power, and this is what the scripture says in the Greek, your natural mind has no power to come into line with the law of God. No ability. Cannot happen. Will never happen. 
That's something that has to die right now. You cannot think correctly, do well, get your head around it, just under, you can't. It's impossible. And we know this sort of thing because faith comes from God and he gives us grace, but we haven't really packaged it all together to make sense of it to go, okay, wait a minute. Without him, I can do nothing. So I need you to tell me what to do. Then I need you to give me the grace to do it too. So what was I doing here the whole time then? Right? Like, sounds like you're doing it all. And Paul agrees, you know, not I, but the grace at work in me is doing X, Y, Z. Because he recognizes the difference. But what if we don't? Because a lot of, hmm, how would I say this better? Anybody watch TED Talks? Okay. So a TED Talk is standard format. One person comes up on stage. They start telling you all that they know about a certain topic. It's data and uh, information, a little bit persuasive. And at the end, you might come away with, wow, okay, uh, nuclear power is not as deadly as we thought, and it might actually generate enough electricity for society. I guess there's a little bit more hope than I had before but I can't practically do anything about it because I'm not building a nuclear reactor in my backyard and somebody else is going to have to do it and it's really exp- doesn't actually apply to anything. Okay, that's a TED Talk. Church is not that. Church is the opposite. We are the ecclesia. We are the council. That means you're involved. You're participating. It's a joint council. We go to meet him because we're all on the council. He doesn't do anything without the council. So I don't know if you guys watch me at any point or what, you know, during worship I can be really demonstrative with my hands or whatnot. It's not just about being exuberant. It's not just about um, being an extrovert. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. What I'm attempting to do is to catch, I, I would describe it as catching sparks. Something with life. I'm... Yeah. If I see a spark, I try to catch it. What's going on over there? (laughs) And that's how this stuff works because we don't get completed things. It's sparks of uh, inspiration and we try to catch it and and expand on it, blow on it, and it turns into something with our agreement. We do that at an individual level and we do it at a corporate level. And it matters. And part of my assignment to be out doing this sort of thing is to make room that, okay, that high bar of weird has already been solved. You can come in lower. (laughs) Right? Like, that's my job. Make room so that other people can, okay, just come in and try it. Like, you'll never look as bad as that. (laughs) (laughs) I have a grace for that. That's not fair. <laughs> okay, so I said that we would get to seeing and knowing. Here we go. We've got the backstory, we've got the weird stories, we've got the little object lessons, stuff like that. Okay. In the Old Testament, that's everything up to Malachi, there's basically one word for knowing something. The word is yada. What does it mean? Really deep? Here we go. The deep meaning of the word yada is to know. Okay. New Testament. New Testament has two words. These are the two that matter. First word is ido. E-I-D-O. They bend it. They turn it. Whatever. Multiple forms. But that word means, literally it means see, but it's connected immediately to see and understand. Like, I see what you mean. Okay? First word, Ido, I see what you mean. Second word is 
gnoso, or variations of that, gnosis, whatever. The second word is personal experience. So when the angel came to Mary, said, you're going to have a baby, that's really weird. And she says, how can this be? I have not, she hasn't seen a man, it wasn't that, it was, I have not personally experienced a man. Personal experience. means you were there, you've done it. No. Why does that matter at all? Well, pull up Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, please. Okay, it'll get there. I will jump there myself and read it. No, okay. So this is Paul's introduction letter to the Ephesian believers, and he is saying, well, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Okay, so what does that actually say? The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the gnoso, first-hand experience of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may ido, see and know and understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. So, we're expected to have first-hand encounters. That's normal. If we're not having first-hand encounters, that is abnormal. And not like, oh, I'm so bad. (laughs) Crushing defeat, shame. No, it just means you're doing something wrong. Let's fix it. Okay, fair? Because we're supposed to all be hearing and all be seeing him. Oh, interesting point about that verse. Paul's praying that you would get the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him so that you could perceive the rest. Did you know that it's possible to have an experience but totally not get it, not understand it, don't know what to do with it? It happened, but it's useless to reproduce or to extract anything out of. So he's giving you the experience, but you also need these other things to unpack it. Now, because I was digging in here, I was trying to figure out, okay, how does this all work? And what about, what about the crowds that were following Jesus? These are the people, you know, they're on the hillside when he does the loaves and fishes thing. They're hearing him speak. They're seeing him with their eyes. And surely that must make a difference, right? Firsthand, you were, maybe they had front row seats. Maybe they saw it happen and they're like, whoa. And they're looking at their buddy, whoa, 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 I know. Okay, cartoons. Um, that doesn't actually matter, as it turns out. You know, Jesus said, a wicked generation seeks a sign. So, in John 6, um, well, okay, let's, let's jump to John 6 and I'll read it. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who don't believe. Now, that word believe, root word in Greek is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. It means to be convinced or persuaded. It's not this magical power that has descended upon you. It's There was people that were seeing it and hearing it, and they weren't totally convinced. And Jesus responds in verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. This mind, and it's observing, trying to process, make sense of it, maybe give us another sign, and then we'll believe. Won't work. Can't work. This thing, wrong tool, will never... That matters. 
Mm-hmm. First Corinthians two fourteen: The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit because they are foolish to him. This is another interesting verse that takes one of those two keywords. Um, so the natural soulish man does not welcome, doesn't accept, doesn't receive the things of the spirit because they are foolish, and he is not able to gnosis personally experience them because they are spiritually examined. So you're supposed to actually personally experience spiritual things, not just theoretically, not just, you know, reenacting. Like, have you ever seen a Civil War reenactment in the U.S.? Yeah. Thousands of people get on these strange old uniforms and they pull up muskets that don't actually shoot anything but smoke and noise, and they reenact these battles and they spend a whole day doing it, and at the end of it, nobody's dead. No horses were lost in the making of this event. They reenact a thing, but it's meaningless. Same kind of thing here. So we are in a position where we need grace to be poured out on us for everything. Without him, we can do nothing. So we've got walk-around grace right now. Walk-around grace is... You know, it, the function and the life in us, that's walk-around grace. But there is other graces. In 1 Corinthians where it talks about the dividing of the gifts. There are various ministries. There are various, in Greek, energizations. Various kinds of spiritual gifts. All these sorts of things that are all, and it doesn't say gifts, it says diverse graces. So what if you have a grace for something that only lasts one day or for one event, right? Like, what if you have a healing grace come on you? I feel the power of God and I'm going to be healed. Boom. Okay, his scoliosis is gone. And okay, so now I'm the guy who ever after has got the grace for healing scoliosis. Not necessarily. That could be one time only grace. There are graces that extend the whole life, but not everything's like that. But if we don't recognize the difference, we'll make mistakes trying to replicate that. And here is where I knew that we would land, and I find this so interesting. Let me ask you this first, Ben. When you started singing about the power of the blood, was that uh, scheduled for this morning? Okay. Everybody heard that? No, that was not planned or scheduled. Here is the final verse. Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay. The blood cleanses our conscience. I told you to pay attention to two words. This is the appearance of that word, ido. It's that seeing and knowing. That part of us that sees and knows, we get it translated frequently as conscience. Literally, it's that seeing and knowing part of you. I would suggest to you, this is your spirit. And specifically, this version of the word Ido talks about a seeing with, knowing with, because there's two people there. It's joined seeing, joined hearing. So you're in your spirit and there's someone else there. Oh, that's interesting. Now, further down, in order to serve, like we're getting cleansed so that we can serve, This word serve is hyper-specific. Imagine you owned that nuclear reactor I was talking about before, and it had a flaw in the fuel rods or something like that. You would need someone with very specific tech uh, knowledge to go and deal with that. It's hyper-precise. Make sense? Okay. That is why you need to be cleansed from dead works. 
because each of you is meant to be hyper-precise in your seeing together with him in order to accomplish the will of God. So what's in the way? Dead works. Okay. So what are dead works? It's really deep. Are you ready? They're not alive. <clears throat> Why aren't they alive? Because they're dead. Yep, okay. That, that would be the other side of the coin. Yep. So again, Cartoon Network goes, have you ever seen a movie or whatnot where the like, whole room is full of taxidermy? <laughs> they walk in in the dark and the lights flip on and people are like, ah! And it's a bear. Uh, ah! Dead works. A semblance of life, but dead. Appears to be good, but it's dead. And this is where Holy Spirit is about to take over. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to examine our lives. We welcome you to screen and sift, point out in our memories, point out in our active life, point out wherever these dead works are. Here we go, four kinds of dead work. Number one, disobedience. The Lord said something to you and you didn't do it. And you know you didn't do it. And then it became this awful, rotting, guilty, smelly, shameful thing and it's hovering on you and you feel really bad about it. That could be right at the salvation moment. It could be he told you to do something and you didn't do it. If he's saying that's you, Put your hand up right now. Don't do it if it's not him. If you're, if you're not sure, take the risk. That's fine. Okay, dead works. Cool. Hang on to that. Second kind of dead work. Just your good stuff. I don't get all this spiritual hocus pocus stuff. I don't see what they say they see. I don't hear what they say. I'm just going to go about being a good person. So you give 10 bucks to the homeless guy and you mow your neighbor's lawn and you just, you're just being a good guy, right? That's really all that matters, right? And what Jesus said was, it's the spirit that gives life. Flesh has no profit. But if, we've, if we, whoever it is, have been doing these things, just good work, trying to, I don't know, stay busy or trying to maintain the rep, that dead work is obstructing the vision in you. So, anyone here like that, Holy Spirit is saying, yep, I, I don't stop long enough to check, is this God? I just do stuff. Okay, fair. Third type. This is the moment where the prophet picked you out of the crowd. Word of the Lord for you. Yay, I'm going to the nations. Whatever it was. Or you had a dream and you're going to be this thing. You're going to do that thing or whatever and you've been doing this. And you've been waiting for a Shazam moment. But you said, God, you said. So it's got to happen, right? Automatic, it happens. I don't have to do anything. I'm just waiting for you to hit me with the lightning bolt. And Okay, so that inactivity is faith without works, which is? Okay, dead work. You're not doing anything. If there's anybody here that that's you, and the Spirit is saying, you're allowed to have multiple categories, by the way. I've got my hand up a whole way. If you're online, put your hand up in the living room too. Okay, last category. You have been running around trying to heal all the sick, save all the people, pray for every miracle. You've been pouring your guts out. You've been sweating blood. You've been uh, crying over every burden, trying to make it happen. And you are so tired, burnt out, Maybe you got to the point where you're like, you know, I've done all the jumping and the shouting and the dancing. I've done all the laying on the hands. I've bathed people in oil and didn't work. I'm not doing it. 
you were trying to accomplish something and didn't have a grace for it. And all of that effort that burned you out was dead works. If that's you, put your hand up. Okay? So now, we're going to ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse out all of that because our vision has been obscured. That joint meeting place of seeing and knowing has been obscured. So everybody stand up. If you didn't respond to one of these dead works, that's fine. Jesus will deal with you later. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. The rest of us are going to repent. Feel free to be led by the Spirit now and pray for somebody that you see Holy Spirit highlighting. But let's say this all together. Dear Jesus, Jesus, we invoke the power of your blood. We We recognize that we have dead works. And that because of that, we can't see you and we struggle to be with you. And we want to. So would you cleanse us now of every dead work? Restore intimacy with you. Restore our sight. Increase our interaction with you. Mm. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I release this people who have repented and asked for the blood. I release them to see and hear. I release them to encounter. I release them to see and know, to personally experience the moving of the Spirit of God in various ways. And God, I'm releasing various diverse kinds of grace in Jesus' name, even beginning to recognize different graces when they come and go. I bless this people to be mobilized, to be restored and renewed in the name of Jesus, effective, relying on grace, laying down all our own good ideas. So if you heard this this morning, even online, and you really didn't understand it, perfect. Embrace it. No, I'm serious. It wasn't for a joke. (laughs) Embrace it. Recognize This is more about, did you feel it though? Can you? Can you? Can you ask the Lord to make that, to stir you, to stir you inside? Because this is not about whether you understood it. Because if we continue to concentrate on that and to believe in that and to hold to that and to say, until I understand it, I can't really, I can't really partake in it. I can't really live in it. Then we're going to be, we're just going to be stopped. Okay, so if you didn't understand, great. This was not for understanding. This was for life coming into your spirit so that we can begin to operate on what we hear and see the Father doing. And that's how you hear and see the Father. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, then, I think you're dismissed.